With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In August of 2009, 15-year-old Kayla Berg joyfully returned to her hometown of Antigua, Wisconsin. After living in Texas with her mother for the previous two months, the duo had come home following a failed experiment and an attempt at a new beginning. Upon their return, Kayla would be living in her grandparents' home while her mother sought out more permanent accommodations. And while the living arrangement was cramped, Kayla was excited to be back home to her brother, father, and her friends. Less than a week after returning, Kayla makes plans to go out with a family friend, Kevin Kilcheski. The 24-year-old friend of her older brother picks up Kayla from her grandparents' home, and the two head out for a night of driving around, as was frequently the case in sleepy Antigo. While Kevin is reported to have been home by midnight, Kayla never makes it back. And when authorities begin asking questions, Kevin tells the story that he dropped Kayla off at her ex-boyfriend Miguel's house that night in Wassa, some 35 miles away. There's one problem with that story. The home Kevin describes is not where Miguel is living anymore, and that particular location has been condemned by the city and sealed shut. So where did Caleb Berg go? In the years since, the disappearance of Caleb Berg has been inundated by rumors, hampered by hoaxes and false sightings. The small town of Antigo has been haunted by this disappearance, and Kayla's family and friends continue to live every day, asking themselves what could have happened to their 15-year-old daughter, sister, and best friend. This is Trace Evidence, Episode 49, The Disappearance of Kayla Berg. Welcome to Trace Evidence. I'm your host, Stephen Pacheco. Today's case examines the mysterious disappearance of 15-year-old Kayla Berg from Antigua, Wisconsin, in August of 2009. Before getting into the case... Just a few notes about the show. Trace Evidence is a weekly true crime podcast examining a different unsolved case each week. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher to get every update and episode. If you have questions, comments, or case suggestions, email me at traceevidencepod at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at TraceEvPod, Instagram at TraceEvidencePod, or join the Facebook discussion group simply by searching for Trace Evidence. You can visit the website at trace-evidence.com for full episodes, transcripts, social media links, 
and much more. Trace Evidence is also on Patreon, so if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash traceevidence, where you can get rewards such as stickers, pins, and commercial-free episodes. There's also a PayPal donation link on the website for those of you who don't wish to go through Patreon. This show is a complete one-man operation, and your support is greatly appreciated. Trace Evidence is now part of the Murderly Podcast Network. Visit murder.ly for more information and many other amazing true crime podcasts. Today I examine the mysterious disappearance of Kayla Berg. It's a tragic and heartbreaking story involving multiple persons of interest and a great deal of rumor and speculation. It's a complicated case with a lot of different angles, which in turn have heated opinions connected to them. This is episode 49, The Disappearance of Kayla Berg. Kayla May Berg was born on August 29, 1993, to parents James Spanbauer and Hope Sprager. At the time of Kayla's birth, she was James and Hope's second child, with her having an older brother, Jimmy, two and a half years her senior. Kayla was born and raised in the small, sleepy town of Antigo, Wisconsin. Antigua was the county seat of Landglade County and is located approximately 160 miles northwest of Milwaukee. Antigua has a total size of 6.34 square miles and a population of less than 10,000, most recently listed as 8,234 residents. It was a quiet, rural town where most people knew one another and safety wasn't something residents found themselves overly concerned about. Crime was low, and on the rare instance that something did happen, it didn't take the Antigo Police Department very long to bring all of the information together and apprehend the responsible party. As is true of many small towns, everybody talks, and there's that feeling that everyone knows each other's business. But in terms of a safe, and laid-back place to raise children, James and Hope felt that Antigo couldn't be beat. The small town offered a great deal of outdoor activities, which kept the kids busy throughout their childhoods. From swimming and fishing, to hunting and hiking, there was never a lack of somewhere to go or something to do. And the beauty of the surroundings were difficult to not find yourself lost in, When Kayla's mother, Hope, was asked about this, she responded that they often took the kids camping and that their plan was to keep the kids outside and having fun as much as possible. From a young age, Kayla and her brother formed a strong bond, spending a lot of time together, and they could often be found outside, running around, riding bikes, and meeting up with mutual friends. Jimmy, being older than Kayla, from an early point, took on the responsibility of being his sister's protector, and it was a position he took very seriously. 
The love between brother and sister was incredibly powerful, and while they occasionally had their disputes, their relationship was almost out of the ordinary in how well they tended to get along for siblings. When Kayla was still a toddler, Hope and James separated, though they were never married. It was a challenging situation for the kids, as it is for all children when their parents go their separate ways, but Hope and James made the transition as easy as they could. There weren't squabbles and bitter disputes about their former relationship and the custody of the children. Jimmy and Kayla lived with Hope, but she was more than open to the kids seeing their father whenever they wanted. Hope later said, quote, We had the every other weekend schedule, but if they wanted to go by dad's, I was more than willing to let them go. The more time they could spend with him, I felt, was the best thing. End quote. Sadly, James was diagnosed with cancer around this time, and his health began to deteriorate. As a result of the cancer treatments, James required dialysis, and so he moved in with his parents, who would assist in taking care of him, which left Kayla and Jimmy the option to see their father at their grandparents' place whenever they wanted. Jimmy and Kayla had free choice in regard to which parent they wanted to spend time with on a particular day, and it wasn't uncommon for them to head over to their dad's one night and then back to their mother's the next. Hope stated, quote, We left it pretty open. They could ride bikes, or we would take them back and forth. End quote. Despite this freedom, the situation was made difficult by James' illness, and for many, it was clear to see that this had a dramatic impact on Kayla's life and behavior. Kayla's good friend Megan later said, quote, I think that her dad's health affected how she was, and I think that maybe she was concentrating on helping others knowing she couldn't fix her dad. End quote. Kayla was known as a sweet, kind, and energetic young woman, often described by friends and family as bubbly and optimistic. She was driven and loved life, and especially loved to laugh and make others feel good. Hope described how Kayla would go out of her way to make her feel better, saying, quote, If I was sad or in a bad mood, she'd do something goofy, make mom laugh. That was the goal, make mom happy. End quote. When Kayla was young, she began focusing her energy into physical activity. According to friends and family, she was always jumping around, rolling, playing on trampolines, and it was clear early on that she had a talent for controlling and contorting her body. While friends were struggling to perform rudimentary physical activities, she was cartwheeling and tumbling with ease. She became fascinated by gymnastics, and soon her mother noticed and enrolled her in gymnastics classes. Kayla surged with talent and quickly fell in love with it, sticking with gymnastics throughout her life. This opened the door for Kayla to meet new people, make new friends, and gave her a sense of belonging. It was as if she'd found out what she was meant to do, and her love and passion for gymnastics seemed to drive and energize her soul. It was clear to her teammates as well 
that Kayla was a bright light at their core. Megan would later say, quote, She was a gymnastics fanatic. She literally lit up the team. She gave it her all, all the time. End quote. Throughout her youth, Kayla was a good student, achieving high grades, and her dedication to gymnastics was clearly evident. Hope and James were extremely proud of her achievements and supported her as she pushed herself harder and harder to reach greater heights. As Kayla entered her teen years, though, things began to change. In the spring of 2009, when Kayla was a sophomore in high school, Hope began to notice shifts in her behavior. Her grades started to drop, and she was around a lot less, spending weekends with friends at their houses. Then, she discovers that while Kayla has been telling her that she's spending her weekends with friends, that isn't the whole story. The now 15-year-old has been traveling out of the small town of Antigo, heading out with her friends to the town of Wausau, located 35 miles to the southwest. Wausau is dramatically different from the small-town vibes of Antigo, boasting a population of nearly 40,000 and being more than three times its size in landmass. For Kayla and her friends, this was the big city, and it was full of fun, friends, and parties. Parties especially. Kayla and her friends would often catch ride with their older friends, heading out into the city where they would attend parties that were populated with higher-level high school students and even some college students. The alcohol flowed freely, and it wasn't uncommon for drugs to circulate. According to Megan, she introduced Kayla and her other friends to the scene in Wausau, saying, quote, I had been friends with this particular group in Wausau, but my close friends were here in Antigo, so I thought, what's better than to bring my closest friends to my other friends? End quote. Typically, Kayla and her friends would concoct elaborate stories about sleeping over at each other's houses, which they'd pass on to their parents, and then while each parent thought they were at a different friend's house, they'd hop into cars and get driven out to Wausau. The nights typically went into the early morning hours, with their parents none the wiser. These parties weren't always full of fun, with the police being called frequently to break up the events. It wasn't uncommon for Kayla and her friends to have to run off from the parties, attempting to not get hauled in for underage drinking. While the authorities often showed up, nothing out of control ever happened, and the girls generally enjoyed spending as much time as they could with their Wausau friends. It was during this time that Kayla met Miguel Marrero, a 19-year-old who, along with his brothers, often threw the parties the girls attended. Miguel took a liking to Kayla, and she was said to have quickly gotten sweet on him. While Miguel was four years older than the 15-year-old, the two became engaged in a relationship, and Miguel was known to make the drive from Wausau to Antigo to pick up Kayla for the weekend, likely under the same scenario in which she'd tell her parents that she was out with friends. The site of many of the parties was a house located at 1017 East Wausau Avenue, and Miguel lived there at the time. This address 
will play a pivotal role in the investigation later. Eventually, Hope decided it was time to have a discussion with Kayla about her life, and while she wasn't fully aware of the Wausau part of it, she wasn't blind and she knew that Kayla was up to something. Following the end of her sophomore year in June of 2009, Hope sat Kayla down for the talk. It was at this time that she told her daughter that she needed to get things back on track, and that while she understood her teenage desires to experiment with drugs and alcohol, it obviously wasn't conducive to her scholastic achievements, nor her love for gymnastics. Kayla is said to have been remorseful, and told Hope that she would work harder. It was at this time that Hope dropped another bombshell on her daughter. She was moving. Things were getting hard for Hope in Antigo, and while she loved the town, it wasn't able to provide her with all of the things she needed. Hope later said, quote, There were some troubles. Jobs were really hard to come by up here, and I got my family down in Texas saying, Hope, come down here. Let's try to make a fresh start. End quote. Kayla was reported to have been crushed by this revelation, but Hope was very open with her about her options. Kayla could come with her to Texas and give it a shot, or she could stay in Antigua with her father, where she'd live with her grandparents. According to Hope, quote, I wasn't going to make her go. It was entirely up to her if she wanted to stay by her dad. I didn't want to pull her away from everything. End quote. Ultimately, Kayla made the choice to go with Hope. Whether this was as a result of wanting to support her mother or her own unspoken acknowledgement that maybe a change of scenery could do her some good is unknown. While Kayla made the choice to go, Jimmy decided he was going to stay. He had graduated from high school that year and decided he was moving in with some friends in Antigo, and while he wished the best for his mother and sister and would miss them, he wasn't ready to start his life over. It should be noted that I've read multiple articles that can't seem to agree on this detail, with some saying that Jimmy did go to Texas and others reporting that he stayed, but I've read interviews with Hope where she's clarified the issue. This is but one example of the contradictory details which will be reported through this story. The move was challenging for Kayla, who was faced not only with the prospect of leaving behind the town she'd grown up in and all of her friends, but her sick father. Hope has spoken at length about the choice to move, and that in her mind, it was the best thing she could do for herself. Antigo, while she loved it, was becoming a place she just couldn't get a foothold in. Kayla put on a strong face and told her mother that she was hopeful and optimistic, but Hope could see through that. Either way, the two made the over 1,400-mile trip down south. It was a long drive, but they discussed the possibilities they could have afforded to them in Texas. Things would be more comfortable, at least financially, and Hope's family was there to provide them with support. Their positive outlook, though, wouldn't take long to change, as both Hope and Kayla began to realize that their new beginning in Texas wasn't going to kick off the way they'd imagined. Both Kayla and Hope felt homesick fairly quickly, 
Even while welcomed into the warm embrace of Hope's family, Kayla did her best to preserve her emotional strength, but Hope could see almost from day one that the 15-year-old was struggling to adjust. For Hope, job prospects and possibilities were not nearly as plentiful as she'd imagined, and the Texas environment, while beautiful, was so vastly different from what they were used to. Then, in July, while working to enroll Kayla in high school, the two discovered that the local school didn't offer a gymnastics program. This was a crushing blow for Kayla, and just days later, the two would be notified that her father, James, had taken a turn for the worst. After being in Texas for just shy of two months, Hope made the decision that they should return to Antigo. Kayla called her friends and notified them that she'd be coming home, and her excitement was undeniable. Hope later said, quote, She was so happy, just so happy. She couldn't wait. I mean, there was a list of friends and family. I mean, everybody. She just couldn't wait to get back. End quote. The duo returned to Antigua on Sunday, August 2nd, 2009. The transition back would be difficult now that they were returning without fixed living arrangements. In the interlude, Hope moved in with a few friends, and Kayla moved in with her grandparents. It wasn't a comfortable living arrangement for either, and especially for Kayla, who was relegated to sleeping on a cot in the upstairs hallway of her grandparents' home. While she got to spend more time with her father, it was far from a perfect situation. Despite the living situation, Kayla was extremely happy to be back home, and almost immediately began making plans to spend time with her friends. They still had a month of summer to spend together, and they planned to take advantage of every opportunity. But it didn't take long for Kayla to fall back into certain patterns that had previously concerned her mother. On August 9th, a week after returning, Kayla told her father that she was going to spend the night at her friend Natasha's house. She left and headed out for the night, but unbeknownst to James, Kayla's plans, while involving Natasha, also included going to an outdoor party. According to Natasha, it was a typical night out, and they hung out with some guys. The next day, as the hours progressed, James began to get concerned that Kayla hadn't returned yet, and he hadn't heard from her. It's important at this point to note that Kayla did not have a cell phone. James placed a call to Hope, who was blindsided, having assumed, like her ex, that Kayla was at Natasha's. When Hope called Natasha's house, she found out that the girls didn't come home that night. In a panic, she began calling around to all of Kayla's friends, but none of them have seen her or Natasha. It's at this point that one of Kayla's friends informs Hope that Kayla was known to travel out of town to Wausau for parties, and Hope is extremely unhappy when she learns this detail. After discussion with Natasha's mother, the two decided to go down to the Antigo Police Department and file missing persons report. As they are filing the paperwork, they received a call that Natasha and Kayla had been located. Apparently, the two had spent the night at the outdoor party in Antigo, having not gone out to Wausau. But being that neither had cell phones, 
they'd been unable to notify anyone of their location. At this point, Hope sat her daughter down again for another stern conversation, and this time she was less lenient than she had previously been. Hope told Kayla, in no uncertain terms, that she was not to go back to Wausau again. She doesn't feel like it's a safe place for a 15-year-old girl to be running around without an adult present, or at least someone who could look out for her. According to Hope, Kayla apologized for lying to her about all of the trips and for keeping it hidden for so long. Kayla, at this time, is reported to have promised Hope that she wouldn't return to Wausau and that this year was going to be different than the last. She was going to pull everything back in line and prove that she was growing up, maturing, and more capable of taking care of herself than Hope believes her to be. This promise will last less than two days. On Tuesday, August 11th, Kayla placed a call to Hope. In regard to their previous conversation, she's agreed to be in contact more often and disclose her plans. She tells Hope that she's planning to visit Natasha and hang out during the early part of the day, and Hope thanks her for letting her know. According to the official timeline, Kayla does in fact go to Natasha's home. The two spend time together at the home and visit a local park, returning to the home at approximately 5 p.m. Natasha had gotten a new job at a restaurant, and she didn't want to be late for her first shift. When the two got back to her home, they find that Kayla's brother, Jimmy, is there, hanging out with Natasha's older brother and another friend, Kevin Kielczewski. Kevin is 24 and a friend of Jimmy's and is well known to Kayla's family. He has stayed over their house before, eaten dinner with them, and for the most part, has been considered like another member of the family. He knows Kayla well and has watched her grow up. When Natasha leaves for work around 5, Kayla stays behind, chatting with Kevin. According to the later investigation, Kayla and Kevin talked for a while and then made plans to get together that night. Friends of Kayla's have stated that Kevin was known as a fixture around their group and that he was like a protective older brother. He had a license and drove a Jeep and oftentimes would drive the girls around whether it was through town to grab something to eat, over to a friend's house, or the 35-mile drive to Wausau. At some point, the exact time isn't noted, Kayla goes home to her grandparents' place and spends time with her father. Cell phone records indicate that at 8.45 p.m., Kevin called the home and spoke with Kayla. Within a few minutes of the call, Kevin arrived and Kayla got into his Jeep. This will be the last time either of Kayla's parents lay their eyes on their daughter. The last confirmed sighting of Kayla takes place that night at approximately 9.30pm. According to a friend of Kayla's named Beth, she was working at the local McDonald's when she saw Kevin pull into the parking lot. Kevin stayed in the Jeep while Kayla came into the restaurant and struck up a conversation. The two laughed and joked around, and Beth would later say that Kayla seemed completely normal, her usual bubbly and fun-loving self. When Beth is interviewed by investigators later, 
she reveals details of the conversation that had not been revealed previously. Detective Sergeant Dan Dooley later states that, according to Beth, Kayla was, quote, hanging out with Kevin, and they were going to smoke some marijuana and go driving around together. She was supposed to call Beth later that night when Beth got off work, but Beth never received that call. End quote. On Wednesday, August 12th, James wakes up and finds that Kayla hasn't come home. While it isn't necessarily uncommon for Kayla to spend the night out, considering recent events, she knows better than to do so without calling. James places a call to Kevin and asks where Kayla is, and Kevin relays a story that after hanging out for a while, he had dropped Kayla off at a friend's house by her request, as he'd done many times before. James isn't immediately panicked, as this isn't exactly an uncommon occurrence, but he's annoyed by Kayla's choice to not fill him in. Either way, he assumes that he'll hear from her sometime that day, and that she'll come home. As the hours dwindle, James' concern grows, and when the day ends and Kayla hasn't returned nor been in contact, he decides something must be wrong. At this point, he placed a call to Hope, wondering if it's possible that Kayla went to see her mom, but receives no answer, and so he leaves her a voicemail. On Thursday, August 13th, Hope noticed the missed call and returned it. It's at this point that James informs her that Kayla hasn't come home and he isn't sure where she is. Hope is taken aback and wants to know what happened. James explains that Kayla had gone out with Kevin, Kevin had claimed he dropped her off at a friend's house, and that he hasn't seen her since the night she left. While Hope is concerned, she also remembers the previous incident with the outdoor party, so while she is annoyed and worried, she isn't yet prepared to panic. Hope assumes that Kayla will resurface and is likely out with friends, though with each passing hour, she becomes more and more frustrated. Another day passes, and on August 14th, Hope begins calling everyone she can, trying to track Kayla down. Unfortunately, none of her friends seem to know where she is. The next day, on August 15th, Hope receives a call from her son, Jimmy. Jimmy tells Hope that he's heard from people that Kayla is staying over a friend's house, and he gives the name to Hope. Hope isn't able to get in touch with the friend until August 16th, and when she does, she's informed that there must have been a miscommunication as Kayla isn't there with her, and she hasn't seen her in days either. At this point, Hope receives a text from one of Kayla's friends she hadn't been able to get in touch with earlier. The last person to see Kayla, Kevin. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. According to Hope, in the text, Kevin reiterates what he told James that he dropped Kayla off at a friend's house, and that's the last time he saw her. When pressed for details, Kevin isn't helpful. Not only does he say he can't remember where he dropped her off, he can't even recall what Kayla was wearing that night. Hope reaches out to Miguel, wondering if it's possible that her daughter has gone to see her ex-boyfriend, but Miguel states that he hadn't seen Kayla since the Friday before she disappeared. On Monday, August 17th, six days after Kayla was last seen, Hope went down to the Antigo Police Department to file a missing persons report. Being that Kayla has a history of going out a lot, and in the past, has failed to contact friends and family while being out of touch, authorities don't immediately consider this a dangerous situation. Detective Sergeant Dooley later says, quote, Kayla was 15 years old when she went missing, a pretty typical 15-year-old at that point. Initially, she was reported as a runaway on the 17th of August. End quote. Investigators are assigned to try and track down Kayla, and they begin with friends and family, conducting interviews about her behaviors, people she spends time with, where she is likely to go. When they speak to Natasha... She explains that, initially, she assumed Kayla had gone to Wausau. The problem is, it was highly unlike Kayla to maintain radio silence, and Natasha later said, quote, Even if she was in Wausau, she never went that long without calling someone. End quote. It should be noted that early on in the investigation, authorities felt that friends of Kayla's may have been withholding information from them, There was speculation at the time that one or more of Kayla's friends may have had additional knowledge about what may have happened to her or her whereabouts, which initially led investigators to feel that their theory about her running away may have been likely. Details about this have been slim at best, but it was made clear by detectives involved in the case that they were under the impression that information was being withheld from them. Whether or not this was done to protect someone, or to preserve their own reputations, and Kayla's as well, has never been revealed. Investigators got in contact with Kevin, and arranged to interview him about the events of that night. According to authorities, Kevin admitted to picking up Kayla, driving around, and smoking marijuana with her, and that he later dropped her off at a friend's house in Wausau at approximately 10.30pm. According to Kevin, when Kayla exited the vehicle, he backed out of the driveway and began heading home, never waiting to see if she got in or if she was safe. When asked for the location of the home, Kevin was evasive in his answers. He explained that there were a lot of one-way roads in Wausau and that he wasn't sure where he was going and that Kayla directed him. Eventually, it's revealed that the home he's alleged to have left Kayla at is 1017 East Wausau Avenue, Miguel's old house. 
The problem with this house is that Miguel doesn't live there anymore. He's moved a little more than a mile away. The previous home had been inspected by the county and deemed unlivable, and the home was condemned. Kayla had been out of town for a few months, so some believe it's possible that she wasn't aware of the move, but according to her friends, that's just not the case. Megan and Natasha, who frequently visited Wausau with Kayla, tell investigators that the weekend before she vanished, she had gone to Wausau with them and they had gone to Miguel's new place. Kayla was very aware of the new location, and Natasha later explained that while the two had gone their separate ways when Kayla moved, since her return, they'd been talking again, and Kayla had even spent a few nights at Miguel's new home. According to Natasha, they hadn't gotten back together, but they were talking about the possibility. To both Megan and Natasha, it makes no sense that Kayla would have asked Kevin to drop her off at the old home, knowing that no one lived there. Megan later said, quote, We all were well aware that he did not live there anymore, and come to find out later that she had supposedly been dropped off at this vacant house. It didn't make sense to me then, and it doesn't make sense to me now. End quote. Authorities found the story suspicious, and while they had initially been examining the case as a runaway situation, they elevated its status to that of an endangered missing child on August 20th, three days after Kayla had been reported missing. Detective Sergeant Dooley stated, quote, We kept interviewing friends and family, looked to see if there was something more. Then, as this case progressed, things weren't looking quite right. End quote. Hope begins to get extremely worried, and she starts to feel that all of the stories she's being told aren't making sense, especially Kevin's accounting of that night. Hope later explains, quote, My daughter was extremely afraid of the dark. She had nightmares about people taking her and doing bad things to her. So for her to get out at a vacant house that is completely dark, with no one around, that's not my Kayla. End quote. Another detail of this story which bothers investigators is that, while Kevin claims that Kayla wanted to go to this house, none of her friends were aware of her plans to go to Wausau that night, including Beth, who she had told she would call, and Natasha, who she also made plans to speak with that night. Even her brother, Jimmy, has expressed that he was not aware of any plans for Kayla to go to Wausau that night, and that if he had been, he wouldn't have allowed her to go alone. After speaking with Kevin, the Antigo Police Department next wanted to have a conversation with Miguel. They reached out to the Wausau Police Department to look into him. Detective Sergeant Dooley explained, quote, We had made some requests to Wausau Police to go over and make contact with him and check with him, and check his house to see if she was there. His response was that the last time he saw her was about the Friday before she went missing at a gathering at his house. End quote. Wausau police did search Miguel's home with his permission, and found no indications that she had been staying there, nor did they detect any signs that a crime had been committed. After checking Miguel's home, the Wausau police went to his previous residence, 
and found the condemned structure showed no signs that anyone had been inside. It's around this point that the local media grabs a hold of Kayla's story and begins to run segments about her disappearance. Hope begins the construction and passing out of missing persons flyers, which depict Kayla and give a description, as well as details about the last time she was seen. Kayla's friends and family begin pulling together in hopes of garnering more attention for the case. Being that Antigo is such a small town, and Kayla is known to many residents, it isn't difficult for word of mouth to spread quickly. As a result of the media attention, tips begin flooding the Antigo Police Department, but for the most part, they lead to dead ends and fail to shed any light on Kayla's whereabouts. For the next two weeks following Kayla's disappearance, investigators conduct thorough interviews with everyone they can find. Sadly, the information they receive simply doesn't answer their questions, and for the most part, no one seems to have any idea what may have happened to Kayla. Hope, when talking about the details surrounding the night Kayla vanished, says, quote, Everything was going in different directions. You get that feeling in your gut, and you know this is not going to be a good scenario. End quote. For authorities, the two people at the top of their list of possibilities are Kevin and Miguel, but they lack enough information or evidence to do much about it. On August 26th, 15 days after Kayla was last seen, authorities received what, at the time, was considered a viable tip. A tipster called police and noted that he thought he'd seen a woman fitting Kayla's description at a local Walmart. In response, the Antigo police went to the store and were granted access to the security footage. Through the cameras, authorities witnessed a young woman exiting a Ford Taurus and entering the store. After a short period of time, the woman exits, and this time, gets into the passenger seat of a black pickup truck. Thinking it's possible that they've caught Kayla on camera and reinvigorating hope for the investigation, police showed the footage to Hope. At first, she felt the woman bore a striking resemblance to Kayla, but upon further examination, she felt the woman depicted in the security footage was not her daughter. She noted, particularly, that the woman had a very different walking style than her daughter and her body language was all wrong. It's difficult to make out a face in the video, but based on Hope's statements, police dismissed the video evidence. While the sighting turned out to be false, it did work somewhat to the benefit of investigators. News stories once again covered Kayla's case, and this once more stirred up tips and information. Sadly, though, it also got the rumor mill going. School was getting back in session, and theories and speculation about Kayla began circulating. The gossip typically told stories of Kayla and her friends going to Wausau for long weekends of drugs and indiscriminate sex, though Megan and Natasha deny that anything like that was going on. Megan later said, quote, Our fun on those weekends was turned to something dark and dirty, and the only ones that could stand up for what we knew wasn't true was us our friends, end quote. With little to go on and no leads, 
Authorities once again returned their attention to the two men they felt most likely possessed some knowledge about Kayla, or at least, the two men who were most likely to have played a role in possible foul play, Kevin and Miguel. Their first step was to visit the vacant house where Miguel had previously lived, the one that Kevin alleges he dropped Kayla off at that night. After a thorough inspection of the premises, they find nothing which indicates that anyone has been inside or that a crime occurred there. Directly across from the home was a wooded area and there was also a lake, and so investigators brought in dog teams to try and track Kayla's scent. They also employed cadaver dogs. One cadaver dog in particular indicated something near the lake, so police brought in a dive team. The team searched the lake extensively, but were unable to come up with anything. For investigators, the one sticking point for them about the night Kayla vanished was that Kevin was the last person who had verified contact with Kayla. They began to look closer at his timeline, with him having indicated that he dropped Kayla off at approximately 10.30pm. From where Kevin lived with his parents, the drive was approximately an hour. They were able to find only one witness who claimed to have seen Kevin that night after 10.30. Kevin's mother told authorities that she had seen Kevin in their home at approximately midnight. This would leave a buffer zone of 30 minutes between dropping off Kayla and arriving home. When police went to speak with Kevin again, he refused to communicate this time, feeling that authorities were harassing him and his family hired a lawyer. Hope was baffled by this, stating, quote, I don't understand why someone would get a lawyer if they don't need one. If he didn't do anything wrong, what are you trying to protect? End quote. The lawyer, though, would come in handy for Kevin not long after. For the next two months, police continued to conduct their investigation, but found themselves getting nowhere fast. In an attempt to apply pressure and to hopefully get either the ability to talk with Kevin or to force his hand, an arrest warrant was issued. On October 26, 2009, Kevin was picked up by police and charged with reckless endangerment. Detective Sergeant Dooley explained, quote, That stems from that he had picked up this 15-year-old girl, drove her around, and they had smoked marijuana together and now she's gone, end quote. At his arraignment, Kevin pled not guilty, and a date was set for a court proceeding. During this period of time, the rumor mill started up again, with many speculating that Kevin must have been involved in Kayla's disappearance, while others created the horrible rumor that Kayla had been murdered after she'd gotten pregnant. The arrest also drove a permanent wedge between Kayla's family and Kevin's, with Jimmy severing their friendship and never speaking to his former best friend. When Kevin was taken into custody, police used this as a pretext to conduct a thorough examination of his Jeep. A forensics team poured over the vehicle, inside and out, searching for any evidence of a crime or any indication of what may have happened to Kayla. Police had previously tested the vehicle using an alternative light source, but this time, they used other methods, including a test with luminol. 
Luminol, when sprayed on an area, will emit a bluish glow when it comes into contact with blood. The chemical compound reacts to the iron in hemoglobin. Dooley would later say, quote, Some spots in the vehicle of interest were located, and those were submitted to the crime lab for testing. End quote. Three weeks later, authorities conducted similar tests on Miguel's vehicle, and once again, they had a reaction from the luminol. Samples were taken and sent out to the lab, with Dooley saying, quote, Nothing substantial came out of that, nothing to lead us in a particular direction. End quote. From the standpoint of authorities, they had found evidence which could indicate blood, but they had no way of connecting it directly to Kayla. And so while it gave them more of a reason to look at the two men, they didn't have enough to fully form a theory about what may have occurred. It would later be disclosed that both tests had come back negative after examination at the lab, but interestingly, authorities have never confirmed exactly what they were looking for and what samples had been used. While they have revealed that the samples were taken, they've never specified the nature of them. These results indicated to investigators that they may indeed be looking in the right place, but they were just failing to catch a break when they needed one. With leads failing to be developed and evidence in short supply, authorities decided to reach out for assistance. The Antigo Police Department contacted the Madison Police Department and requested the assistance of a dog team. Officer Karen Corcoran was sent to Antigo along with her extremely well-trained cadaver dogs. The dogs are trained to ignore the scent of living creatures, as well as the decomposition related to animals, and note only the scent of human decomposition. In December of 2009, Karen arrived in Antigo and was put through a blind test. Ten vehicles were lined up, and she was told to take her dogs through the line and see if they indicated anything. Karen was not told who the vehicles belonged to, nor specifically what case any of them might be related to. After walking the line, the dogs indicated on only one vehicle, Kevin's Jeep. Investigators felt both excited and frustrated. Whereas the dog had indicated the scent of death in relation to Kevin's Jeep, they had nothing else which could tie that scent to Kayla or any other crime. In an attempt to gather more information and hopefully find enough to develop an image, authorities subpoenaed cell phone records for both Kevin and Miguel, as well as close friends and family members who may have been in contact with them. When they examined Kevin's phone records, they found a peculiarity. On the night Kayla disappeared, he had indeed called her as he said he had to pick her up. The last call from Kevin's phone was made at 9 p.m., and then all activity stops until 2 p.m. the next day. Either Kevin's phone died at that time, or he had purposefully shut it off. While they find it hard to note this as a coincidence, they also notice in Kevin's phone records that this is not the first nor the last time that Kevin's phone is untrackable in the days before and after which makes it difficult to pin it down as specifically connected to Kayla's disappearance. In regard to Miguel, his cell phone records indicated that he hadn't spoken to Kayla the day she went missing, 
but there was a curious detail. An older cell phone, registered to Miguel, did have a hit on a cell tower that night. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Three hours after Kayla was allegedly dropped off at the abandoned home, Miguel's old phone pinged in Lincoln County, 40 miles north of Wausau. Two calls came into the phone between 1.12 and 2.15 a.m., though they were not answered. A team of cadaver dogs was sent up into this area surrounding the ping, though nothing was located. At this point, Antigo police requested an interview with Miguel, but he refused. He cut all communication with investigators, stating, much like Kevin, that he felt that he was being harassed by the police, and he reiterated that he didn't see Kayla that night and had nothing to do with her disappearance. For the next few months, Little develops on the case, and in desperation, the Antigua police once again reached out for assistance. This time, the National Guard was contacted, and in an attempt to supply some help, helicopters employing thermal imaging cameras were flown over suspected areas in Antigua. The cameras are designed to show disturbances in the ground and the possible location of burials. Unfortunately, nothing was found, and investigators were back to square one. Once again, they reached out to Officer Corcoran, who came down from Madison with her dogs. They began poring over wooded areas in Antigo, going inch by inch. Over the course of several months, they conducted over 12 different searches, and surprisingly, the dogs made several indications. There were a total of two indications, and curiously, both indications were connected to one of the persons of interest. The first indication from the dogs took place on a parcel of land owned by Kevin's parents. This immediately made investigators refocus their attention on him, as it was also his vehicle on which the dogs had previously indicated. The second hit during these searches was on a potato farm where Kevin just happened to work. While this evidence is circumstantial, it's difficult to dismiss three separate cadaver dog indications all tied to one person, and not just any person, but the last person to have seen Kayla alive. Unfortunately, again, this information is important, but lacks enough foundation to connect it to Kayla or a crime. When asked about her dogs, Officer Corcoran stated, quote, To date, the only thing I can say is my dog continually says the odor of human remains is connected with one person of interest. End quote. Sadly, the case began to fall into the blankness of no new information. And as the days turn to weeks and weeks to months, Kayla's case grows colder and colder. Nearly two years after Kayla's disappearance, on August 8, 2011, a judge dismissed the reckless endangerment charge that was filed against Kevin, noting a lack of evidence. 
When asked for further explanation, the judge expressed that while Kayla's disappearance was disturbing and sad, Kevin could not be held accountable in connection to it as it was Kayla herself who directed Kevin to the location. Interestingly, I have not a single idea what that has to do with Kevin smoking marijuana with a 15-year-old girl, but for the judge, he felt the charges were baseless. Tragically, this would not be the only blow dealt to Kayla's family that year. James Spanbauer, Kayla's father, ultimately lost his battle with cancer in 2011 and passed away, never learning the truth of what happened to his daughter. According to friends and family, James never relinquished hope that Kayla would return home and that they would see each other once again. The loss was hard for Jimmy, who had been without his sister for two years and who, at this point, must also lay his father to rest. Jimmy, the older brother, the man who had always taken it upon himself to look out for Kayla, can't help but be overwhelmed by a sense that he should have been there for her that night, even though he had no idea what was going to happen, nor where she was going. For Hope, as the years begin adding up, her belief that she may, at some point, see her daughter again is slowly fading. In an interview, Hope described the loss, saying, quote, I miss seeing her smile and hearing her voice. The only things I have are photos and video clips. End quote. In hopes of stirring up new tips, the Antigo Police Department made contact with both the FBI and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The FBI posted a $20,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction, while the Center for Missing and Exploited Children began producing age-progressed photographs of Kayla, indicating how she may appear two years later. These images show the possible appearance of Kayla from 16 to 20 years old. Antigo police poured over the files of local sex offenders and even those from neighboring states, as well as examining human trafficking operations, though no clues relating to Kayla were ever discovered. Unfortunately, Kayla's case grew even colder, and the years continued to flutter by with constant, painful reminders for her family and friends. The next action on the case came in October of 2016, seven years after Kayla was last seen. In the previous years, the investigation continued, but had essentially come to a standstill. Then, on Saturday, October 8, 2016, a YouTube video was sent to the Antigo Police Department. The video had been posted anonymously in October of 2009, two months after Kayla's disappearance. In the video, a man with glasses is talking to a friend named Walter, who isn't present in the video. He goes into discussion about meeting a woman, shopping with her, and that this woman is now his girlfriend. Towards the end of the video, the man opens a door which appears to be to a bathroom, and depicted in the footage is a young woman, bound and screaming. The man closes the door behind him, obstructing the camera's view, and the screaming gets louder. When this video was brought to the attention of the Antigo police, their interest was certainly piqued. The woman depicted in the video bore a resemblance to Kayla, 
and the proximity and time to her disappearance set off alarm bells. When the video was shown to Hope, she felt that the girl in the video closely resembled Kayla and was extremely shaken by it, though she couldn't say for sure if it was her daughter. Hope, as well as investigators, thought there may be a connection there, and so a full investigation into the video was launched. It took authorities only three days to track down the people shown in the video, and ultimately, it was proven to be a work of fiction. When the man shown in the video was tracked down, he explained that it was shot as part of a planned series of horror shorts, which had been quickly dropped. The man, Michael Matten of New York, stated, quote, We don't like the way the internet misconstrued the concept of it and the direction that they took without doing proper research. It was just great acting. It has come. It has gone. We don't want any fame. End quote. The video has been a hot point of controversy in this case, with many feeling that those who made the video should have been prosecuted, and others feeling that that sentiment is ridiculous. While the video may be disturbing in nature, it was made to be that way and was a work of fiction. Those who acted in and constructed the video at no time attempted to link it to Kayla's or any other missing person's case. And while some may view it as distasteful, it's difficult to understand why it would be subjected to such intense pressure and scrutiny. The woman in the video does resemble Kayla, but she was an actress and is alive and well today. It was an unfortunate combination of circumstances which led to the video entering the sphere of this investigation. And still sadly, when conducting internet searches for Kayla, discussions of this video frequently appear. While it has drummed up attention to Kayla's case, it has also muddied up the waters, with multiple articles being written about it as though the video does play a role in this case. To this day, a search for information about Kayla brings up the video, and older articles which haven't been updated still exist to feed the speculation that the woman in the video may be Kayla, adding further confusion to an already complex and difficult case. Multiple events have been held over the years to garner attention for Kayla's story. There have been candlelight vigils, balloon releases, and all manner of attempts through social media to try and get her story out. There was, for a period of time, a Tumblr page dedicated to drawing awareness to Kayla's case, though it appears to no longer exist. In recent days, a tractor trailer was painted with her image and vital statistics in hopes of spreading awareness around the country. Speculation has run rampant in this case, and with such a lack of any hard evidence, it hasn't been an easy path for those who wish to explore the possibilities and the facts. There have been multiple sightings of Kayla over the years. She was thought to have been working at a gas station in Texas, or married to a man in Louisville, Kentucky, though in all instances, the person cited has never turned out to be Kayla. When asked about the possibility of finding Kayla alive, Antigo Police Chief Eric Roller responded, quote, We hope we find some answers. It's tough. I think the chances of finding somebody after seven years, well and okay, is probably slim. But there are cases out there where people have been found in captivity 
and held longer. I suppose it's all possible. End quote. Out of the chaos and confusion of a case which, for all intents and purposes, carries two people of interest and multiple pieces of circumstantial evidence, several theories have risen to the surface. The first theory suggests that Kayla was abducted and possibly murdered by a yet unknown suspect. Supporters of this theory believe that Kayla was either engaged in an intimate relationship with someone in Wausau, other than Miguel, and that she elected to be dropped off at the abandoned house in order to meet this individual, who later murdered her. Others take the angle that, upon being dropped off at the home, Kayla may have been attacked by someone who was squatting at the location, or someone who simply saw an opportunity. The second theory is that Kayla may have gone to the house that night following an agreement with Miguel, at which time she may have connected with her ex-boyfriend and was abducted and possibly murdered. Supporters of this theory believe that Miguel's choice to cease cooperating with authorities and the pings of his old cell phone indicate that he may, at a minimum, have knowledge of what happened to Kayla the night she vanished. The third and final theory is that Kayla's disappearance is completely tied to Kevin, the man she was last seen with. His evasion of questions in the days following Kayla's disappearance, as well as the cadaver dog hits and his choice to hire a lawyer, have been big sticking points for proponents of this theory, who feel that the then 24-year-old family friend likely possesses more knowledge of Kayla's whereabouts than he has shared with authorities. When Kayla Berg was last seen, she was described as being a Caucasian female with brown hair and brown eyes, standing 5 foot 2 inches tall and weighing approximately 108 pounds. There is some dispute about what she was wearing when last seen, though the commonly conveyed details describe her outfit as a red spaghetti strap top, a dark blue hooded sweatshirt, blue jeans, tan low-heeled sandals, and a silver ringed necklace. Kayla has a scar on her right shin and smallpox scars on her right cheek and the right side of her nose. She has abdominal scars from laparoscopic surgery and her appendix has been removed. Her navel is pierced and her ears are double-pierced. She may answer to the nickname KK. Just under nine years ago, Kayla Berg left her father's home in Antigua, Wisconsin to spend the evening with a close family friend. After driving around for a few hours and smoking marijuana, Kayla vanished. Through multiple people of interests, numerous searches, and a litany of conjecture and false leads, the fate of Kayla Berg remains unknown. For Kayla's family, the pain has been nearly too much to bear, and though they are aware of the reality that Kayla may no longer be alive, they struggle to keep her memory and to cling to the possibility that she may return someday. When asked about Kayla's whereabouts and how she managed to get through her days, Hope responded painfully, and this is Hope in her own words. And of course, my obvious goal is to have her back, because if I get her back, I'm probably going to hug her and never let her go ever again. I just, 
need to know what happened to her. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everyone. I'm Debbie. And I'm Laura, and we host a podcast called I Got the Hell Out. Are you fascinated by cults? Of course you are. Well, I spent 10 years in one, and each week I spill all the juicy details. Some are funny, and some are downright frightening. And trust me, you want to hear these stories. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Overcast. So give us a listen right here on I Got the Hell Out. We'll see you there. The disappearance of Kayla Berg is one of those stories that, once you begin examining it, is tantamount to banging your head against the wall. It's exceedingly frustrating to find all of this information available ultimately doesn't add up to much beyond rumors, speculation, and circumstantial evidence that, while intriguing and curious, can't quite get you to where you need to be. It's hard to wrap your head around the fact that a 15-year-old girl went missing and the two men in her life, who seemed to carry an almost equal share of the suspicion, were both so much older than her, with her ex-boyfriend Miguel having been 19 at the time, and Kevin, the last man to have seen her, was 24. It's a disappearance from small-town America, the kind of place where people like to believe this sort of thing doesn't happen, and yet, nearly nine years later, the case remains unsolved. There are several issues surrounding this case which have worked to convolute the investigation and make things more difficult to determine. The media, at the time, reported multiple details which later turned out to be false. The YouTube video, which to this day remains a popular angle, turned out to be completely unrelated and a work of fiction, but those headlines still dominate search results while the retractions are hidden in the fine print. Even the television show Disappeared spent the majority of its final segment discussing this video before making note, in short order, that it was a hoax. There was, for a time, the idea suggested that Kayla may have been a runaway, either having left town to move on somewhere else, or perhaps even that she was staying with a friend, her ex-boyfriend, or someone else. Police felt that her friends were being uncooperative early on, and this fueled the fire that Kayla's whereabouts may have been known and that they were protecting her. All of these years later, that doesn't appear to be the case. The reason I elected not to discuss the possible runaway as one of the major theories is because, within days of the investigation launching, Both investigators and Kayla's family were fairly clear that they didn't believe this was a situation of a runaway, 
and the evidence seemed to indicate foul play was likely involved. Wading through the rumors and speculation on this case has been difficult, and in many instances, knowing what is true and what is only gossip has been complicated to define. From the rumors circulating around the school and town to the theories of investigators, getting down to the actual facts isn't nearly as cut and dry as it should be. But once you've been able to brush away everything that has no basis in actual evidence, you're left with a fairly blank slate of few details and a timeline which cannot for certain be known entirely. With this dramatic lack of evidence mixed with the rumor, three primary theories about Kayla's disappearance have been developed. The first theory in this case explores the possibility that Kayla may have fallen victim to someone who is yet to be named, or perhaps even crossed the radar of investigators at all. Under this theory, we're led to believe that on the night she vanished, Kevin dropped her off at the vacant home where her ex-boyfriend Miguel had lived previously. According to Kevin's statements, he drove off essentially as soon as Kayla exited the vehicle, leaving the 15-year-old standing in the dark outside of a home that had been condemned and, as a result, had no electricity and whose doors were locked and sealed. Once Kevin was gone, there are two possible paths that theorists suggest. Either that Kayla came upon someone she didn't know, or she planned to meet someone there that she did know. Following the first branch, with this being someone she didn't know, there are a lot of possibilities. It isn't uncommon for abandoned buildings and homes to be used by squatters looking for a place to stay, or even for these vacant buildings to become dens in which drug users gather to get high and stay off the streets while doing so. Many people have suggested the possibility that not only was the home being used as a drug den, but that Kayla was aware of this and that's why she wanted to go there in the first place. While that's certainly an angle that has its own intrigue about it, there are details which would seem to counter the likelihood. Primarily, during the course of the investigation into Kayla's disappearance, investigators entered the home on two separate occasions, and both times found no signs or indications that anyone had been inside. There were no reports of forced entry or drug paraphernalia, nor any other items present to show that the home had been occupied. Now that doesn't mean it's impossible that Kayla could have encountered someone in the area. A lot of people have questioned why Kayla would have given Kevin directions to the abandoned house when she's alleged to have known that Miguel had moved and was no longer living there. But it's also been stated that, while Miguel had moved, he lived a mile away from his old home. Is it possible that Kayla could have forgotten the exact way to get to his new house and planned to get dropped off at this vacant home and then proceed on foot to try and locate it? Perhaps, though why she wouldn't have simply called Miguel and asked him for the address, directions, or ultimately to just pick her up doesn't make a lot of sense. We do have to factor in that Kayla was smoking marijuana that night, so how high or how much pot affected her in general does need to be taken in as a factor in her decision-making that night. If Kayla had run into someone at the home or in the area around it as she possibly walked, there's almost an endless list of possibilities from abduction to murder which may have happened and for which there would be very little evidence. 
someone could have offered her a ride, someone may have accidentally struck her with a vehicle and then gone to great lengths to cover up the crime. This is all speculative, but none of it can really be ruled out. Of course, all of this is predicated on the fact that Kevin actually dropped Kayla off that night, which for many isn't exactly a concrete fact and is purely based on his own statements. The other possibility under this set of circumstances is that Kayla either made arrangements to, or by happenstance did, encounter someone she knew. For some, the vacant home was a prearranged meeting point for Kayla and Miguel, which I'll discuss in the next theory, but for others, there was more going on in Kayla's life than we may be aware of in terms of her friends in Wausau. One of the rumors circulating at the time was that Kayla had been sleeping with an older man and that she'd discovered she was pregnant. I want to preface this by saying this is incredibly speculative and there's never been a shred of evidence to suggest truth to it, but the idea that she was seeing someone in Wausau, other than Miguel, isn't impossible. Many people believe that, on the night she vanished, Kayla walked from the vacant home to another location to meet this person, and whether it was due to a possible pregnancy, the involvement of drugs and alcohol, or a dispute, this was ultimately believed to have led to Kayla's murder. This is an extremely thin theory, and there isn't much to go on, but the general concept that Kayla may have wanted to travel to Wausau that night to meet someone can't be completely ruled out. Of course, being dropped off at the vacant house still doesn't make a lot of sense. Had someone planned to do something terrible to Kayla, and the perpetrator knew she didn't have a license, it may have been set for her to go to the vacant house in order to protect the suspect from being identified later, but this theory isn't without its issues. Had an arrangement been made, the perpetrator would have no way of knowing that Kayla would simply be dropped off and that she wouldn't come with someone else. Also, how these arrangements would have been made is difficult to determine. Kayla didn't have a cell phone, and the phone records of her grandparents' home have been examined thoroughly. I would have to believe that the police examined the owner of every number that called that house in the days leading up to Kayla's disappearance. Kayla could have made contact with this person through payphones, and therefore have left no trail, but again, we have no way of knowing this for certain. The idea that Kayla either met someone she knew that night, or perhaps a total stranger, certainly exists. In this case, the evidence is so light, it's hard to know one way or another what is and is not possible, but this scenario cannot be completely ruled out. While it's entirely possible that Kayla may have met her fate that night in connection with someone who police have either never examined, or perhaps never revealed to the public, there are details about other scenarios and people of interest, which makes this theory possible, but perhaps not the most likely. The second theory follows the thought process that while Kayla may have made arrangements to meet someone at the home that night, that person may have been none other than the previous owner and her ex-boyfriend, Miguel Marrero. Miguel was obviously familiar with the location of the previous home, and it's been stated multiple times that he lived in a new place within a mile of the condemned building. It wouldn't have been difficult for him to have swung by and picked her up, but again, Unless there was some kind of premeditated aspect to this crime, 
It makes no sense that Kayla would ask to be dropped off here. From everything I've examined in relation to the situation between Kayla and Miguel, while the age difference was certainly unacceptable and Kayla's mother did not approve, Kayla's friends believe that the situation between the two was a good one. According to friends, Kayla and Miguel got along well and were both very happy around each other. Their previous relationship, from what we understand, didn't end as the result of a dispute or a major issue, but mostly because of Kayla's choice to go to Texas with her mother. Kayla's friend, Natasha, has stated in interviews that Kayla and Miguel had been speaking again, and that Kayla may have even spent a few nights at his new house in the days leading up to her disappearance. Miguel didn't attempt to dodge questions, at first, about his relationship with Kayla, nor the fact that he had seen her the Friday before she disappeared. Sometimes, things simply go wrong. And this certainly wouldn't be the first time that a boyfriend murdered a girlfriend, but what do we really have to go on when it comes to this theory? Other than the fact that Kevin claims he was dropping Kayla off to see her ex-boyfriend, there's not much which can be provided in terms of evidence. Miguel alleges that he didn't see Kayla that night, and investigators were never able to tie anything concrete to contradict his statements. Miguel did stop cooperating with authorities later on, though he didn't go so far as to hire a lawyer. He simply felt that he was being harassed and he no longer wished to participate. And while you'd assume that if he truly cared about Kayla, he'd want to help, we have no way of knowing what investigators said to him or the kind of pressure they put on him. There are, essentially, two pieces of information which have lifted Miguel up as a possible suspect in this case. Firstly, a forensic examination of his vehicle resulted in authorities removing samples from it for further testing. These tests were later announced to have not been a match for whatever they were looking for, but police have never specified what exactly they tested. This has been a curious angle of the case, and it's difficult to examine it without knowing exactly what we're looking for. Suffice it to say, with Miguel having been in the sights of investigators for a long time, had they matched something to suggest he had been involved in Kayla's disappearance, it isn't hard to imagine that we'd have heard more or seen charges by now. The second piece of information which investigators discussed were cell phone pings which took place north of Wausau. According to their search, these pings were connected to a phone registered in Miguel's name, a phone which he had previously used but was now not his primary device. For many, this indicated that Miguel knew authorities would try to track his phone and he used this alternative phone in an attempt to throw them off. While this is possible, why would you assume that using a second phone, still registered in your own name, would be less likely to be tracked? Police did go up to the area where the pings occurred and conduct searches, though it's difficult to narrow down an exact location from the pings, and so they were essentially searching for a needle in a haystack. Others have suggested that the second phone may have been one which Miguel gave to Kayla as a way of keeping in touch with her. While this is possible, it seems unlikely that Kayla wouldn't have told her friends, and the records from the phone don't indicate that it was being used much, if at all. Some believe that something occurred between Miguel and Kayla that night, which resulted in her death. Whether that's the result of a premeditated act, 
or perhaps even an accident, we can't know for sure. But supporters of this theory feel that Miguel knows more than he is saying. There's been a lot of speculation about Miguel's family, and rumors that his brothers may have been involved in a crime with Kayla that night. There's been gossip that a body was burned the night Kayla died, but there's no evidence to support it. A source indicated on several online forums that he or she had spoken to an individual who reported this story to the Antigo police, and that upon reporting it, was dismissed by them out of hand. Without supporting documentation, or some kind of evidence, these statements can't be considered more than rumor. While there may be some illegal activities related to Miguel's family, there isn't much tangible evidence, at least in connection to Kayla. Miguel was 19 years old when he was dating 15-year-old Kayla. This is certainly something which isn't looked upon with acceptance by the general community, and may in fact be a contributing factor to Miguel being so frequently labeled as someone who may have been involved. On the other hand, a boyfriend or ex-boyfriend is almost always one of the first people authorities look at when something like this happens. Whether or not Miguel was involved in Kayla's disappearance, we may never know, but authorities have stated on multiple occasions that he is someone they would like to ask more questions of. Unfortunately, without further information or evidence, they can't force him to talk, and at this point, he doesn't want to talk to them. The final theory in the disappearance of Kayla Berg is that Kevin Kielczewski, the then 24-year-old family friend and last person to have been confirmed to have been with Kayla that night, may have been involved in her disappearance and possible murder. This is a theory which has been the source of a great deal of controversy, with many feeling that Kevin is guilty and others arguing that he was simply hanging out with Kayla and dropped her off at her own request. Despite what arguments exist on either side of this issue, there does appear to be evidence which suggests that Kevin may know a great deal more than he has shared with investigators about what happened that night. According to the official timeline, at approximately 5 p.m. on the day she vanished, Kayla was hanging out with Kevin, and the two made arrangements to get together that night. Kevin called Kayla that evening at her grandparents' home at 8.45 and told her that he was going to come pick her up. Kevin is stated to have arrived sometime between 8.50 and 9.00 p.m., and at that point, all attempts to track the two are fruitless as Kevin's cell phone was either powered off or its battery died, making it impossible to ping his cell phone locations that night. We know, based on statements from Kayla's friend Beth, that Kevin and Kayla arrived at the local McDonald's around 9.30pm, and Kayla made plans to call Beth later, though she never did. It's at this point that Kayla mentioned to Beth that she and Kevin had been smoking marijuana and driving around. According to Kevin's statements to police, he dropped Kayla off at the vacant house in Wausau at 10.30, which would suggest that within 20 to 30 minutes of stopping at the McDonald's, Kayla would have made the request to be dropped off in Wausau. This seems strange if she made plans with Beth, and also, since Kayla had no phone and Kevin's wasn't turned on, what would have inspired this sudden trip out to Wausau? She had no way of arranging any plans with anyone, unless, of course, she used a payphone. 
It wasn't uncommon for the 24-year-old Kevin to drive Kayla and her friends around to places, including Wassa. What I've always found questionable is that many of Kayla's friends have referred to Kevin as someone who was like a protector. But what kind of a protector leaves a high, 15-year-old girl by herself at an abandoned house in the middle of the night and drives away without even seeing if she's okay or makes contact with someone else? I can't speak for the behavior of others, but when I drop a friend off at night, man or woman, I always wait to make sure they're safe with someone else or inside the home before I drive away. Sure, this could simply be a careless choice of an unconcerned man, but it could also be a poorly developed story that simply doesn't add up. What makes this even more suspicious is that Kevin knew Kayla from the time when she was a little girl and was close friends with her brother. You'd think he'd have even more drive to ensure Kayla was safe, and yet that doesn't appear to be the case here. Kevin was unhelpful early on, being evasive when answering Kayla's mother's questions and acting as if he couldn't remember where he dropped her off. When Kayla was missing, he didn't reach out to authorities and say that he'd been with her that night. He didn't provide intricate detail of their activities when asked by Kayla's mother. He didn't even return her phone call. He simply texted her saying he dropped Kayla off, and when asked where, he responded, I don't know. Even the clothing that Kayla was wearing the night she's disappeared has been disputed, as Beth and others have described her outfit one way, and Kevin has described it another. Why all the confusion? Why the lack of assistance until interviewed directly by police? It certainly has made many suspicious. According to Kevin, he dropped Kayla off at 10.30, and then by the statements of his mother, was home by midnight. This entire case, all of the details revolving around Kayla's whereabouts after her visit to the McDonald's that night, are based purely on Kevin's statements, and unfortunately, that isn't much to go on. Kevin was quick to hire a lawyer, and while you can't fault someone for seeking legal counsel when the police are questioning you, it did, in the minds of many, make him appear more suspicious. Throughout the entire case, Kevin is the only person who has hired a lawyer and protected himself in this way. It may be wise to do so, but in the court of public opinion, it usually doesn't help your reputation. Being that Kevin grew up around Kayla, was nine years older than her, was close with her family, and was the last person confirmed to be with her, most people feel he should have felt compelled to be a little more helpful. While Miguel's vehicle had a sample which was processed by the forensic lab, so did Kevin's. Not only was there a sample tested, which, like Miguel's, was later stated to be unconnected, but on three separate occasions, cadaver dogs indicated hits on items related to Kevin. First, dogs indicated on his Jeep, then on land owned by his family, and finally at a potato farm where he worked. The scent of decomposition can cling to materials, such as clothing, and for many, the idea that the dogs hit on these three locations suggests the possibility that, at some point, a deceased or decomposing human body may have been present in Kevin's Jeep, on his family's property, and at his job, or perhaps only in one of these locations, 
but the scent was then transmitted from the body to clothing to the other locations. Regardless of how you view it, these are the only hits these dogs have found in dozens of searches around Antigo and multiple vehicles. Unfortunately, this evidence is all circumstantial. The smell of death, while certainly enough to interest investigators, can't be tied to a specific individual, and you can't simply arrest someone because of that scent without corroborating evidence. The inability to track Kevin's cell phone that night makes it impossible for investigators to know his whereabouts between 9 and midnight, assuming that his mother alibying him as being home at midnight is something concrete enough to depend on. Kevin was arrested and charged with reckless endangerment, though those charges were later dismissed by a judge for lack of evidence. This set investigators back to square one, and at this particular point in time, nearly nine years later, Kevin remains at the top of a list of people of interest, but there doesn't yet exist enough information to proceed beyond that. For many, the idea that Kevin was either involved in Kayla's disappearance or knows more than he has told authorities, is the most likely scenario. The disappearance of Kayla Berg is a heartbreaking and tragic story that's been mired down by a lack of evidence, rumors, gossip, and speculation. There is, however, one detail on which investigators, the family, and Kayla's friends all agree. Someone in Antigua or Wausau knows exactly what happened to Kayla. This person may still be living amongst them all, concealing information which has the ability to put an end to this terrible story and grant a family the ability to receive some closure. After all of this time, it seems unlikely that Kayla Berg may still be alive, but those who love her cling to that belief and hope every day that they will eventually find the truth. Today, Kayla would be 24 years old, the same age Kevin Kielczewski was on the night he picked her up, and hours later, she vanished. Kevin is 32 now, more than twice the age Kayla was when she disappeared, and Miguel is 27. For the small town of Antigo, this is a timeless mystery which has never gone away, and casts a shadow over the residents to this day. What happened to Kayla Berg, and will the answers ever be revealed? For her family and those who loved her, it's a question they face every day of their lives, while someone else who knows the answers continues to live without pain or consequence for his or her actions. The Antigo Police Department have never given up on the case and continue to this day to track down leads, the few which develop and any tips which come in. Once a flood, the tip line has become but a trickle, though one thing is known for certain. Someone knows exactly what happened to Kayla Berg, but without further evidence, a confession, or a break in the case, the disappearance of Kayla Berg remains open, unsolved, and very cold. (laughs) 
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you're interested in finding more information about the disappearance of Kayla Berg, there are some news articles and forum posts which discuss her case. Disappeared ran an episode on Kayla's story in their eighth season. If you have information about the whereabouts of Kayla Berg, please contact the FBI or the Antigo Police Department at 715-627-6411. What do you believe happened to Kayla? Email me at traceevidencepod at gmail.com, tweet me at traceevpod, or comment in the Facebook group. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you're using. For more information about other cases, transcripts, media, and more, please visit our website at trace-evidence.com. This concludes this week's episode of Trace Evidence. I want to thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me next week for another unsolved case on the next episode of Trace Evidence. I'm going to leave you now with a promo for another podcast that I personally enjoy, and I think you would too. Mens rea is the legal principle of intent that must be proved in a number of crimes, such as murder. It means literally, the guilty mind. The Mens Rea podcast explores the most notorious crimes from Ireland and the UK and the court cases that followed. Every fortnight, a new case is discussed. So if you like hard-hitting, in-depth true crime podcasts, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and subscribe to the Mens Rea podcast today. Thank you.